We're going to get into the Word today. And as I said, I hope that you people who hear it, along with myself, are glad for its encouraging message, as it said in the end of today's passage in Acts 15. If you'd like a Bible to follow along, the ushers uh, will, will give you one if you raise your hand. If you'd like to follow along, we'll also have it up on the screen. So that's Acts 15. So we do get, uh, as I said, burdened and inundated uh, by ourselves first <laughs> and others with different messages, which, uh, which are not all necessarily for us, but we take ownership of most of the things that pass across our desk. So someone makes a critique of you, someone makes a comment, uh, someone says, I really think you should do this. You have your, your kids that have their needs if you have children or your, your spouse has their needs. Uh, work has their needs. Uh, messages, messages, messages. Uh, burdens on top of burdens. But not all messages are created equal. And uh, I believe that God wants us to focus in on what he wants us to do individually. And, as we, and I believe that's not meant to be overwhelming like a lot of the other messages we get. It's something that's manageable. It's clarifying. It gives us a sense of peace. In fact, we'll read this passage later, but it says, Do not be anxious about anything in Philippians, but through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So something about the message of God is clarifying. It's peace-giving. It's not the same as the other messages that clutter our souls. And, that, and uh, if you're anything like me, uh, some, some of the most strong messages you have that guide you and burden you in your everyday life actually come from you. <laughs> they are your messages to yourself about what you are not doing correctly, what you need to be delivered from, what you need to improve on, what a failure you are. Uh, we, we get focused very much, if you're, like, if you're like me again, apart from the work of God, on behaviors and a zoomed-in picture that, uh, that can be very consuming for some people more than others. But finding the clarifying, peace-giving message of God for us as individuals, something we can work on, it's manageable, it's clear, it brings peace. And to tell you the truth, when you do the thing God is calling you to do, many times, the other things get taken care of along the way. En route. So, God has a wisdom and a perspective that we do not possess, and uh, in his word brings peace in the midst of our, perhaps, chaos. But we get messages all the time from without and within. I got an email message, but the first email I saw this morning, and I wish I didn't do this, it's a terrible habit, picking up your phone when you first wake up, the alarm goes off, and then you're like, Facebook news, not good. Um, again, we, we, our hearts and, and our prayers are with the victims of... Uh, the terror attacks in, in England. That was the first thing I saw. Uh, very burdening. The second thing I saw was an email saying that some organization had found me a Russian bride that I had to pay for. I mean, <laughs> you get them too, right, John? I did not sign up on that email list. I'm very happy with my bride, though she is not Russian. It's, 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 <laughs> Russian bride email, and I'm like, why do I get, I, these are supposed to be in my spam folder. I was telling Corey this morning, why do I get this email about a Russian bride? I mean, 
But we've all gotten them, haven't we? I've also gotten um, emails from, from, from some very important high-ranking officials in other countries who have large sums of money, and they, they need me. Uh, the, lowly, the lowly, unimportant Nathan Detweiler to give them my bank account and routing number so they can deposit. I, I get so excited, you know. And uh, then I, reality hits, and I realize I'm not going to pay off the church's mortgage, am I? That would be so cool, just pay off the church's mortgage with all this royal millions of dollars from another country. So we got messages we, we don't know what to do with. They inundate us. Uh, this week I traveled to a, a Christian bookstore that is in the town I grew up in. I don't know what made me stop my car and pull, pull over and go in. I, I guess I, I know the people that run it. They're very dear people in my life. A very sweet uh, one woman, uh, 94 years old, has run the Christian bookstore for 35 years. They think, 35 to 40 years, along with her daughter. They're lovely people. So I, I went in there and was talking to them. And uh, I, was, I was one of the few customers they'd had that week, so I was like, I need to buy some stuff here, you know? I didn't intend to buy stuff, but I was going around finding all kinds of stuff to get. And I got the greatest thing ever, which is the words of Jesus on little cards. And uh, it's like 52 cards, like a deck of cards. So I, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So I'm going, it's, it's fun because I, I'm, not, I'm not mocking the word of God or Jesus, of course, being a pastor and all, but I've been having a good time saying, hey, have you heard from God lately? Uh, have you heard anything from God lately? So I'll be like, I knew Bonnie would like it. I, I said, Bonnie would love this. She loves this. Okay. I heard her ooing and aahing back there. I will, I will buy you some of these. So I've just been going up to people saying, hey, choose a card, any card. And, and it's really, it's super fun. And I think, that, I think that over the summer, our sermon series should be like, 52 cards, and I'll draw one at random, and then I'll preach on that topic, you know? I don't, think, I don't know if I'm astute enough to actually do that, but, like, I've never read that one before, you know? That would be really embarrassing as a pastor. So shuffle the cards, shuffle the cards. Let's pick a card. Have a little of Heather pick one. Any card. You want me to read it? It's not like a fortune cookie. I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Words of Christ. And that's like a true, it's true, that is for you. That's awesome. Um, but it's, I, I do it kind of half like kidding around, but half being like, hey, you know, let's get the word out there. Kind of fun. But again, me, little messages. Inter these are, have a little more credibility than my Russian emails or from kings of other countries sending me millions of dollars. I give them that more credibility. I thought I'll just keep them in my pocket. I'll leave them in people's bathrooms, you know, drive people nuts. A lot of fun. So how would you feel, and we know how a lot of people feel about things. Um, if we watch the news, we get a general sense of how people feel about things. But here's a really outlandish scenario to bring you into a mindset to understand the Scripture passage today, which is a hard one for us to understand because the context of it is different from, uh, from where we're at. Seriously. Uh, how would you feel as an American citizen, if during our presidential election, no one that lived in this country, in, in the United States, got to vote for the president, no one. But people from other countries got to vote democratically and elect our president. Wouldn't that be weird? Like people, people from all countries with all different interests in us maybe, uh, different ideas, people that are, maybe that have never been to the United States, have no idea 
uh, much about our country, each given a voice uh, from every citizen of any place outside of this country. That would be a, a very weird presidential election. And it would be something that as United States citizens or people that dwell in this country, we might take offense to that, thinking, you know, why, why should they be able to make these important decisions? People that, don't, uh, that aren't from this country, that aren't, that aren't living within this country, you know, why should they be able to do that? That feeling that you might have is very similar to the trauma, traumatic feeling that Jewish people had when Gentiles came into the family of God. The Jewish people were God's chosen people, which he chose to display his uh, grace to the world for a period of time. They served a purpose of, of being the light for the world. But if, as you see from Old, Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage, and one of them which is going to be quoted today uh, from, from the Old Testament, you know, God's dream was never that the Jewish people being his chosen people was an end unto itself, but that through the Jewish people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. In other words, that Gentiles, explicitly people that were non-Jewish, that were not part of that nationality, that part, part of that race of people, uh, or even, part of, even within the country in which they, they lived, were going to become full-fledged, 100% voters in everything. This was not an easy switch for anybody. And, and uh, interestingly, when, as we're reading today's passage, keep in mind, for us, diversity of, of, uh, of race and, and different types of people coming together as a church is very awesome. We love that. We love having people from different cultures, different uh, ways of looking at the world, and we, we celebrate diversity at, at, in this church and, both, and also in our wider culture. In this culture, it was a very different mindset. It was kind of like people were segmented into their own groups. And the Jerusalem church, even though the gospel had gone to people that were non-Jewish at this point, and you, you remember the story of Peter, and God brought the sheet down with all the unclean animals, and he said to him, kill and eat. And, he said, and God said to Peter, do not call anything unclean which I have called clean. And Peter said, okay, if that's you, God, I believe that, and I'm doing that. But that was not easy for Peter, who his whole life had lived with a certain mindset. Uh, so the gospel had gone to everybody, but still, there was, um, if you will, segregation of different parts of the church into their respective communities in many ways. So in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, that's the mothership, okay, of the whole movement. These were mostly Jewish people, pure Jewish people, not half Jewish. You know, they were people that had the law, that understood how things were to go, uh, and who thought, who honestly thought to themselves, we should be the ones with the votes. So you can see the conflict is going to happen. As God is working out his plan and his wisdom, people are still people. There are still issues. And we're going to see a little sample of what that looks like this week. And next week, we're going to see an even more awesome sample of people being people. But people are people. And, uh, and a dispute arose in, uh, in Acts that had to be decided by a conference in Jerusalem. And it had to do with non-Jewish Gentiles and Jewish people, and what did it really take for people to come to Jesus? 
So this is a very interesting kind of thing, way to set it up. And I hope that as we read it, you can kind of feel a little more sympathy even for the, 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 the Jewish folks who are having such a hard time with the idea of people coming directly to God through grace alone. Not through any kind of works of the law or any kind of outward sign, such as circumcision. I hope that you can feel sympathy for those people that had a hard time with this. Because it's a similar feeling to how you would feel if all of a sudden everyone else in the world who didn't live here voted on our elections. It was hard. So with that, the council at Jerusalem is the heading. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is where the problem started. These were people coming from the home base to Antioch. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Also, something that was highly prized in this culture was debating. So I'm sure this was a very heated debate. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, to the mothership, to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. So Paul and Barnabas, they just can't hold it in. They're really upset that someone is saying that you have to be circumcised to come to God, and they are just wanting to tell everyone, look, the Gentiles are in. This is a sad thing, and, and it made everyone um, celebrate who they talked to. Now listen, uh, this, this issue of circumcision, I've talked to you about this before. What circumcision meant if you were a non-Jew and you were circumcised, it meant that you were changing your, eth- it literally meant you were changing your race and becoming a part of the Jewish people in your body. Like, so... As strange as that sounds to us, this outward sign uh, that, they, that these people were requesting that people make in order to come to faith in Christ, these people that came in from, uh, from Jerusalem, they were saying, in order to come to Jesus, you need to become Jewish by our customs and our law, and then you can come to Jesus. So you need to reject your cultural heritage in order to come to God. Interesting. Interesting. It's asking a lot. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. This was the same Peter again who had the sheet come down from heaven. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And here discrimination really is, you know, Racial discrimination, like he, didn't, he doesn't discriminate between peoples uh, based on their ethnic heritage. 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That means gift. Grace means gift. The gift of being saved through the blood of Jesus alone, not by part works of the law, and certainly not by being circumcised. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. We read about one of those last week when they healed the, mute person, the uh, lame person. When they finished, James spoke up. This is one of like four Jameses. This is Jesus' brother, pretty authoritative guy. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. This is a prophecy from Amos 9. So this is a scripture that is being cited by James, again, a full Jew and the brother of Christ. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Does that seem like a strange list to you? It wouldn't have seemed strange to these folks. All of those things that he's, he's saying, let's keep it, uh, let's not make it burdensome or difficult for the Gentiles. Stay away from this list of things. These are all things that were prominent in pagan worship. So, you know, in, in, uh, literally in the, in the worship of that day, drinking blood, uh, meat from strangled animals and sacrifices, and, uh, and, and worshiping the false gods with sexual immorality and, uh, and offering food to idols was the way that people worshiped. And it was very tempting for a Gentile to keep it in their back pocket, even if they came to Christ. It's kind of like people do today. They're like, you know, I hope that God comes through, but if not, I'm also, you know, going to visit the fortune teller and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's a similar kind of thing, like have, have an ace in your back pocket just in case God doesn't come through here. And so he's saying we need to give them a little list that will keep them away from these very destructive things. It says in verse 21, For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in synagogues on every Sabbath. So this was the final word. James was authoritative. Everyone respected him. He was fully, fully Jewish. Uh, he had a knowledge of the Old Testament and the promises from the Old Testament, and coupled with the testimony of the signs and wonders and the things that Peter had said about the gospel going to the Gentiles, this group was convinced. So it worked out much better than many church meetings, again, you know. And they wrote a letter, an official correspondence. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They cho chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. 
We have heard that some went out from us without your author our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Listen to this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. It's a really official letter. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Something I truly love about the resolution and the letter that they sent, uh, it says this phrase, it seemed good, in verse 28, to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. Isn't that nice to hear? And I believe that that is a message that, uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, gives to us as well. We get burdened by so many internal messages and so many external messages and so many different things. And really, God just has certain things that we need to work on in our lives. Uh, one by one, manageable, in peace, without anxiety, just something for us to work on. And, and for these people, it had to do with simply avoiding uh, pagan temple worship. You know, it was as simple as that. These, gen these Gentiles who come to faith had been told, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the law, you need to become ethnically Jewish to be saved, and then you can come to Jesus secondarily. It was a huge burden that made them feel second-class citizens. It made them feel inadequate. It made them worry. Maybe the grace being taught by Paul and Barnabas and Peter is not enough for us. The free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus, apart from our works, isn't enough. Maybe we need to do these things. Maybe they're right. It sounds right. I mean, these people are the high officials in the church. And they were all, all probably very discouraged and worried. And when they heard from the mother church that the Holy Spirit did not want to burden them with anything beyond a few simple things, it just caused so much relief. The people read it and were glad, and they were encouraged they were encouraged to persist in the grace that they were originally taught, that you are forgiven and free through Jesus. Just avoid these couple of things and you're going to be fine. Just keep walking with the Holy Spirit. It was a huge relief. Doesn't that sound like that would be relieving? And I think that uh, in the same way, if I, if I may speak in a more, uh, I guess, prophetic way to the church, God's Holy Spirit does not want us to be overburdened either. I really believe that. If you are overburdened, overwhelmed and anxious, something is off. <laughs> this is what I believe. I don't believe the way that we're supposed to live is with a, a, a huge internal to-do list of everything that we think and our self-condemnation and everything everyone else thinks piled onto us. I think when God speaks, it's, uh, it has clarity to it. It has a clearness to it. God has something that we should focus on, I believe. Every believer. 
But the thing is often not what you thought it would be. Uh, for, for these people in this church, you know, the issue was you need to focus on circumcision. You need to focus on following the law better, even though you've never had the benefit of being under this teaching until this moment in your adult life. Let's face it. You need to focus on all of these things. And so they were thinking, maybe we do need to focus on those things. But that was not the thing that they needed to focus on. The thing that they needed to focus on was the grace in Jesus Christ and avoiding basically pagan temple worship. That's a, much more, that's a very freeing message. And likewise for us, God uh, d- does have something for each of us to focus on. But it's often not what we think it would be. Listen, I'm speaking from really personal experience that as someone who has a lot of uh, internal to-do lists of things I need to get better in, as a Christian, as a follower of God, when I inquire of God about certain things, why can't I get over this behavior? Why, why do I keep doing this? All these kinds of things. And I seek after God through the scriptures, through prayer, and talking to people who hear from him through the prophetic ministry in the church, people that are trustworthy uh, men and women who hear from God. Interestingly, the thing that I'm so troubled about is not what's on God's heart for me. It just isn't. I have this zoomed-in perspective that it's about this behavior. It's about this relationship. It's about this, uh, this thing. I, I need to get better with this. I need God to change this in me. And that's my zoomed-in perspective. But then I seek after him. And so many times in my life, I get a zoomed-out thing that has to do more with character development than it does about individual behaviors. You know, how are you loving and treating the people in your life that God's given you? And, uh, and often the thing that we, I guess what I'm trying to say is often the thing that we think is most important is not the most important thing. And God has something different for us. And if we'd only focus on that thing, all those small things inside of us would be taken care of. Uh, we, we receive a specific assignment through the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, I can't tell you what God is asking you to do and focus on in your life, but it might not be all of the things you think. Uh, we need to pray and seek the Holy Spirit. And through the gifts of prophetic people in our fellowship that we inquire of for prayer and counsel and reading the scriptures, we can clarify what God is asking of us. The thing that will not burden us, but the thing that will help with everything. And when God speaks, it's not murky. It's, it's clear. It brings peace. The only time that it doesn't bring peace is when we are not in submission to God. So oftentimes you'll, read, you'll uh, read something in the Bible, God will speak to you through it, but you are not ready to actually obey God. You're in rebellion in your heart, not in surrender. And it takes away your peace by leaps and bounds. But when God speaks, it's not, it's not murky. It's clear. It's clear as a bell. The light is shining on it. And, uh, and the only thing that can take away your peace is if you're in rebellion to what he says to you. You're unwilling. You're unwilling to, to do that thing. You're unwilling to work on that thing. You're much more interested in working on the things that you think are most important instead of submitting to the king. Um, Rob Reamer says, in a spiritual kingdom, freedom can never be won by rebellion or revolution. It can only be achieved through submission to the king, bowing to the king. So there is something that God wants us to focus on. And when he shows us what that thing is, we need to submit to his, his voice, and then we will have peace 
to work on that one thing, to seek God on it, and it will be clear. And the good thing is that uh, when, you, when you approach your faith in this way of seeking what God is calling you to do and kind of blocking out the other voices, um, many of the things you thought you, want, 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 you needed to work on get worked out in transit. And that's something that God knows. So many different uh, micro behaviors and difficulties and disappointments you have in yourself and maybe other people have in you are not going to be solved by extinguishing this behavior like Pavlov's dog, like, like psychological behaviorism in, tr in teaching yourself to avoid certain situations. They're addressed by character, overarching character development. And, uh, and God is more interested in the kind of person we become. When we become the, when we become the right kind of person, Amazingly, in transit, all of those things on our to-do list that we're so troubled about, they start popping off one by one, disappearing. Think about uh, issues uh, that, that people have. We'll take issues of, uh, we'll take just low-hanging fruit, I guess, like issues of pornography. People try to stop looking at these images and they have a very strong behavioral drive to keep going to this thing and it becomes an addiction, it becomes a neural pathway in their brain where they go to it as soon as anxiety hits, or, or alcoholism, or any other kind of addiction. Addiction is such an easy thing to talk about uh, because it's a behavior that people struggle with, feel guilty about, and can't seem to find freedom from in so many different cases. But what if, in the midst of an addiction to something like pornography, uh, you're asking God to deliver you, and he says to you, you need to love your wife. That's a character thing. In other words, instead of doing the easy thing and the thing that you're so focused on not, not wanting to not do anymore, love your wife. Figure out how to love and serve your wife. Uh, figure out how to put her needs above your own needs, as we're reading in Philippians. And to not look, not look only to your own interests, but to her interests, to even consider her as more important than yourself. Imagine that. Taking on the character of Christ. And as people do that, many times those behaviors and difficulties that people struggle with, they start knocking off one by one in a way they never could before. Because we stopped focusing on the behavior, we started focusing on a character, a point of character development, uh, loving and treating uh, your, your wife well. Um, and, and I think many times things are like this. The thing that we think we should focus on is not the thing we should focus on. There's something broader and the broader thing that God has for us is something that will take care of the little things. And again, we're not talking little things like not important things. It's a ter terrible problem. Addictions are terrible problems. But they can't be dealt with in the flesh or by behaviorism or by trying to extinguish them. They can, they can be managed, but the content of your character will not fundamentally change. Um, unless you do the thing that God has for you to do. And again, I do believe that God... If you can surrender all of the burdens that you carry, I believe that God uh, will give you the thing that you should be focusing on as you seek him with all your heart in submission to him as the king. I think God does not withhold that kind of information from his children. He's a good father. If, I mean, imagine if, 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 you, have, if you have kids, um, imagine if your child said to you, what can I do to make, to make, to please you and make life better in our house. And they really meant it. And then you told them what to do, and they took it to heart and started doing it. You know? 
How about every time we put something new in front of you, you don't complain about the food and all, you know, that, anything like that. What, what can I do? Of course, a parent is going to be overjoyed to tell their child the thing. And especially when it comes to God's perspective as the perfect parent. Uh, he, he loves us so much. He has our best interests in mind. He knows the character adjustments that need to be made in us. He can tell us uh, with uh, complete understanding, certainty, and knowledge, full knowledge, you know, what we need to work on. He'll, he'll make that clear. He'll make it clear through the scriptures. He'll make it clear through prayer. He'll make it clear through the words of people in our community who we inquire of as we talk to them. Okay? So when you're in your small groups, when you're meeting up with people in the church, uh, saying, you know, I'm having this issue, you pray about it, you talk about it, God speaks in a prophetic way to people in the body and shows them what they should focus on. Uh, so th this is it. God, when God speaks, it's not murky, it's clear, and it's always accompanied by peace unless we are in rebellion. And then we have this, then we lose our peace. But as soon as we submit to the will of the Father and we go, get with the program, we have nothing to fear. No anxiety, no worry, no insecurity. There's nothing to fear when you are in submission to the Father, working on the thing he has brought before your eyes, which may be surprising to you. There's no fear in that kind of position, in that kind of love. Uh, his perfect love casts out our fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears cannot be made perfect in love. The one who is submitted to God and seeks after him for the things they need to work on has no fear. They have, they're unburdened. They're not anxious about anything because they know, I'm doing it. I'm walking with God. He has got this. So do not be overburdened. But find what God is calling you to do. Uh, that's what I think this council was all about. Unburdening people from external and internal pressures and saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit does not want you to be burdened. He has a plan for you. And finally, some of you will find this humorous. Kofefi, a Greek word meaning anxious for nothing. Um... Do not be anxious about anything. I shared this earlier. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's advice to us from the scriptures and so many other times in the Bible is, do not live in an anxious, worried, uh, overwhelmed mindset, which results from internal and external expectations and thoughts. Instead, pray about everything. Petition God with thanksgiving for what he's done and knowing that he's a good father. Present your request to God. And as you submit to the Father, he will show you what to work on. And his peace will guard your heart uh, and your mind in Christ Jesus. And you can live a life free of fear, free of worry about the future, free of even concern about some of the behaviors you still struggle with. Because God knows our struggles. God knows the, 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 the sin patterns that we are ingrained in, the addictions, the relational problems, uh, everything from anger to uh, codependency to you, you name it, all of the things we struggle with, envy, um, dissatisfaction, discontentment with life, ungratefulness, judgment, being judgmental. God knows all those things we struggle with that we hate about ourselves. And... Uh, and as long as we are submitted to God 
and, and doing the thing that he's calling us to work on, we don't have to worry about all those little things. God will take care of them. And they'll be worked out in community. We, we still need to, of course, set up protections around ourselves so we don't go into the pagan temple as often, okay? And eat, drink blood and, and strangled animals and sexual immorality. You need to set up protections in your life uh, against certain things. But what I'm saying is if we focus on behaviors instead of on the creator and lover of our soul, we're not going to get anywhere. We need to put our focus and our vision on God and believe that God, uh, God has something for us, that God has a word for us. And it's not a burdensome word. It's a word meant to bring life, uh, to bring hope. It's a manageable word. It's something you can do today that can give you peace because you know that God is with you. So, you know, many times in a sermon, I realize this is a mixture of scriptural exegesis and also putting uh, some real uh, prophetic as, as far as what I feel God is saying to us into this story and placing us in this story and thinking about what it means. Uh, so it's a little bit different of a kind of message than you might hear every week. But this, this week, as an application, I ask you this one thing as the worship team comes forward. And that is to unburden yourself from all the burdens you place on yourself and how disappointed you are with your behaviors and how, uh, and how much the things other people have affected you and caused you to lose your peace. To surrender those things and instead of going right to praying about the same old things to God, ask God the question, what is it in my life that you have for me to work on? And it might be some, one of those things on your list but it might be something you're very surprised by that's going to help you deal with, that's um, going to help you extinguish some of those things that are on your list, but that you wouldn't have thought of. Something simple, something that is uh, a delight, not a burden. So as we are closing, it's a song about the grace of God, and we're affirming that it's by grace that we're saved, not by works, not by an outward sign like circumcision or keeping the law. We're saved by grace. Each of us is equally saved. There's no one more saved or worthy than another. So in that context of the full forgiveness and love of God for you, surrender those other things and disappointments and ask him, what is it you have for me to work on? And knock until the door is opened. Seek until you find. For everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. So I don't know what God's word is for you. We have a stack of Jesus cards and a Bible where the cards come from, full of God's words for us. We have Christian community that loves us and hears from God on our behalf, who will hear what we have to say and pray for us and seek to discern what God is doing. Um, but we need to find what God is saying to us each as individuals. Because I believe that only then will we be able to get real traction in our relationship with God. God is the only one that is qualified to give you guidance on what you should be focusing on. If you focus on your opinions or the thoughts of others, you will become overburdened, anxious, and overwrought. God knit you together in your mother's womb, He's also been with you and seen everything you've been through in your life. Think about that. As if it wasn't amazing enough for him to know you so completely in your, when you, before anything happened to you, he's been seeing everything that's happened to you since. He understands 
like no one else exactly what you need. He is the only one that can tell you what you should do. Seek him until you hear from him, no matter how long it takes. Do not give up. Do not say to yourself, um, it's not for me. He is a good father, and he goes where he's wanted. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to be unburdened by this world and by, our, by your flesh, to realize that the grace of Christ is enough, that you couldn't earn it anyway, and he loves you as much on your worst day as your best day through Jesus, and that he has a plan for your life, something you should look at that will give you peace. So seek him, love him, be the body of Christ. You are dismissed.